The Mac Observer's Mac Geek app number 221 for Monday, October 5th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. As John said, it's number 221, and we are here, I'm here, uh, all alone in the TMO Towers East. I'm oh. Dave Hamilton. That's John Braun over there. Mm-hmm. Hi, John. Yes, and Pete's. Uh, Pete's in the airport. Air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought he was in the airport. Well, he was, but now he's in the air. Okay. That's what. That's something? often often what happens when you yeah when you go to an airport you you wind up being in the air before you even know it. Well, I wonder is he flying or the the pilot or uh, no? I, I believe he's a passenger this time. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. But they get the cool seats. Sometimes they let them sit up front, I think. I think sometimes they do. <laughs> all right. We have all kinds of cool stuff to go through. Um, we've got uh, more cool stuff found. We've got some answers and, and feedback from the last couple of shows. Uh, some ground hum discussion that uh, clearly was a bigger topic than I realized at the time. I guess mm. it's something a lot of people have dealt with and maybe people don't even know. So we've got that to talk about. Uh, we have, uh, we've got a bunch of questions, uh, including one that, that seems to be kind of a hot topic amongst the Apple discussion boards, which is uh, quick look plugins. The first thing I want to do though, is talk about our first sponsor for the show just to make things up a little bit. think that's all right, John. Yikes. All right. So <laughs> smile on my Mac.com, uh, has PDF pen 4.5 and the big feature in PDF pen 4.5 or the big new feature rather is that it is now uh, it now includes the OmniPage OCR engine into both PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. So uh, it's a new engine, and for fifty bucks or forty nine ninety five, I believe is what the price is. Uh, PDF Pen now uh, gives you this great OCR engine. OCR being optical character recognition, which means you can scan in or you know take a, a fax or or a document that just comes in as a a, P- a graphical PDF or, or even a JPEG or anything, pull it in there and you can scan that out and uh, it will convert the text in the graphic to actual editable text that, uh, that you can then embed into your PDF. PDF pen is a piece of software that allows you to create, manipulate and edit PDFs. Uh, it is all available at smile on my Mac.com. Pricing, as I said, for PDF Pen is forty nine ninety five US. PDF Pen Pro is ninety nine ninety five. Uh, family pack license for PDF Pen is seventy four ninety five, and that covers up to five computers in one house. One twenty nine ninety five for PDF Pen Pro, and if you've got an older version, it's twenty five bucks to upgrade, and you might even qualify for a different upgrade uh, for free, depending on when you purchased it. So we've got the new OmniPage OCR and PDF Pen four point five. Uh, It's got a new highlight text tool that allows you to select and highlight text in a single action, which is actually very cool. If you want to edit text inside a PDF, that's uh, something that PDF pen sort of does alone on its own. So a very handy little piece of software. I use it to put my signature on PDFs and send them back instead of printing and signing and faxing, uh, fill out forms with it. If it's not a, an editable PDF pen form or PDF form, you can use PDF pen to slap your, uh, your name right on there. You can type right inside a, a PDF and it kind of bakes it all in as, as one PDF. So that's PDF pen from smile on my Mac.com. And with that, John, I think it's time to hear from Scott, John, Dave and frequent fly buyer pilot, Pete. This is <laughs> Scott from Seattle, Washington, and I've got another problem. I know I only call when I've got problems, not a very nice thing to do to you guys, but be that as it may, look keeps crashing on me ever since I installed Snow Leopard whenever I go into the uh, I think it's the column view and select a file that should give me a quick look preview it crashes tried reinstalling Snow Leopard twice and it keeps doing it I've ran Onyx and did all the um, permission repairs all that kind of stuff and it still keeps crashing so my thought is possibly there were some old quick look plugins that I put in um, and maybe that's crashing it 
Um, but I don't remember where those go or how to get them out or what. So any help you can give me to figure out why this is crashing. I have noticed on some of the Apple um, discussion boards that some people are having the same issue and there hasn't been any resolve to my knowledge. But uh, no big outcry of it. So I'm thinking it's got to be related to something uh, maybe small not necessarily snow leopard as such. So anyway, anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated. And this is the part right now coming up. Get the finger ready where I give you my email address. And that's where we'll cut you off, Scott. Okay. Uh, so uh, very briefly, John, let's let's make sure we go through what Quick Look is. Uh, and then maybe after this, we'll, we'll talk about all the yes. different, different ways of getting in there. But, but the idea behind Quick Look is you've got all these files in the Finder. Uh, or all these files on your drive. And of course you can navigate to them with the finder. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and in normally or prior to quick look prior to leopard, you had to leopard being 10.5 snow leopard being 10.6, just to get our context. Right. Mm -hmm. You had to double click on the file, open up whatever application it was that, uh, that created it, or at least that could view it. And then you could kind of flip through it and see whatever the file was with quick look. Uh, you can play these files right there in the finder. So if it's a word document, boom, it comes up and you can just see it right there. Uh, if it's a PDF, you can see it right there. All of its pages. If it's an audio file, you can play it right there. You know, same with a movie. Right. So uh, did I did I miss anything in our in our quick, uh, quick, quick look um, discussion? Well, the mechanics are. are yeah. So, so, so dig a little deeper. Uh, one way to access it, because I, I honestly don't use that a lot. If you are in cover flow mode in the finder, yep. this already happens. It happens automatically in the cover flow. If it can display a preview, it would be it a PDF or a graphic file, or as Dave said, pretty much anything. Um, but another way to access it, if you're in a list view, which is what I typically default to, um, if you highlight a file and hit spacebar, that activates quick look. Right. Another way to do it, which they mentioned, so I'm like, you know, let me dig in the Apple help. Every now and then, there's something useful in there. And, and so it told me about the space bar, and then it said, well, also, if you're in the Finder on the uh, Finder toolbar, I think we're going to call it, because it's not the menu bar. It's, it's a, a, a strip of uh, controls within a Finder window. They say, well, click on the eyeball. And I'm like, well, I don't see an eyeball. And I looked up both of my machines, both my Leopard machine and my Snow Leopard machine, and I did not see it there. So I was confounded for a moment until I realized, well, you know, it's probably just not showing it to me. So what you can do is if you click uh, right click in the, uh, you know, in that area of the finder window on, on the top, I'll call it the, you know, the toolbar area. You, you can also go to the view menu and do this. John. Yes. So just. To, OK, yeah. so view menu also has customized toolbar. Right. So either way, you get to customize toolbar and check it out. You can drag the quick look icon from that window um, and it's interesting because, yeah, I think uh, what you're pointing out, Dave, is, is correct because it says the default toolbar includes Quick Look. Right. I don't know why mine doesn't on either machine, probably because I typically do an upgrade instead of a fresh install. I think but, that's exactly why. Yep. But uh, so Quick Look, uh, if you do not see it, this will help you find it. But it's a very handy feature. So I kind of took the ho high road there. Now, you're going to take the low road because there's a lot of happening underneath the covers in OS X that could affect uh, that, that certainly the cause of this crashing. So yep. go. So, and we've had quite a few of you email in. I, I just picked Scott's email cause it sort of explained the problem, but, uh, or Scott, Scott's audio message, but th this applies to all of you that, that wrote in and, and perhaps those of you that didn't. So John, you said that quick look, uh, will show you pretty much every file right there in quick look, but it's not built for every file. However, Apple has made the architecture extensible and by extensible. What we mean is you can write a plugin or a developer can write a plugin that adds to quick look and allows it to see different types of files. There's a great website you can go to called quicklookplugins.com, uh, And it, it, they have all kinds of different uh, quick look plugins out there. But as they state right there on that site, and as we're finding out, not all Quick Look plugins are Snow Leopard compatible. It's possible you've got one that's causing your machine to crash. Every time Quick Look goes to fire up, it enumerates these plugins, it goes through them all, and bam, you know, it, it, it hits a stumbling block. So where do you find these plugins? Well, there's three places that they exist. In the root of your hard drive, the library folder, and the Quick Look folder. Now, you might not have that folder if you've never installed a third-party plugin system-wide. You might also have one in your home folder 
library folder, quick look folder. Uh, again, it won't, the quick look folder won't be there if you haven't installed one into your user account. And then the last place that definitely exists is root of the hard drive system library quick look. But this is where typically only the system, the default built in quick look plugins are. Uh, so you shouldn't remove anything from there, but uh, you can remove the ones that are in home or just slash library. Uh, and those that that may be where you're seeing your issue. You can also list all of the quick look plugins uh, with a, a command line utility. That's also helpful. If you go and take one out, you have to reboot in order to uh, to clean quick look of that plugin, because otherwise it's kind of trying to sit in RAM and it might look for it. Uh, but if you run a command called QL manage from the terminal, uh, for, if, if you're not comfortable with the terminal, just reboot after you've kind of cleansed that folder of, of what you think the offending plugin is. And uh, and that should come right back up. But but uh, QL manage is the terminal command line utility that lets you do this. QL manage space dash R that's lowercase R will reload uh, whatever's in those folders. QL manage space dash M space plugins will tell you all the plugins that are out there, including the system wide ones. So it's going to be quite an exhaustive list, but, uh, but hopefully that, that deals with uh, the problems that many of you are reporting here. You got anything to add to that, John? I was thinking though, I couldn't find anything that the console may be a good place. If something is blowing up that you'd find some clue there. I, I searched, very quickly in my console and I, I searched for a quick look. I didn't find anything though. Maybe under another name. I don't know what that would be. You, oh, you searched in your console for, for quick look errors. You mean? Oh, actually, no, you know, I did find something. Okay. All right. Uh, so I looked on my, uh, my G five, nothing, but I see one thing on my console on my, uh, my MacBook pro, which uh, the, the sender. So when you're in the console, uh, there are a number of things. Uh, there are a number of columns, date and time sender, which is usually the process generating the error. And I see something here from com.apple.quicklook. So one was a breakpoint being set and a malloc error. You know, th- this stuff tends to get very d- developer geeky here. But it, but apparently something caused a memory error. So um, go yeah, to console, should- filter on QuickLook, and you may see an error message indicating perhaps which plug-in was uh, unhappy and caused the crash. Oh, interesting. I think it's, I think it's quick look D is the, uh, is the name of the, the process that, that fires up when, uh, when you're doing that stuff. But, but yeah, that's yeah, the reasonable. console might, might tell you what it was. That, that, that's a good, that's a great point. All right. Uh, a quickie from Mathis here. I think I'm getting a cold, John. Oh, I don't know. It's the season change, you know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's just allergies or something. But I'm. I'm feeling out of breath today, and usually hmm. I'm. Uh, usually I'm quite uh, vocal. Oh, you know, quite <laughs> energetic. Uh, Mathis writes. My first ever question to you concerns the new wireless section of the networking system preference pane in Snow Leopard. Through Leopard, I could see. I could open the network preferences, click on airport, click advanced, select a saved network, click edit and click show password so that I could see the password for that network and even be able to edit it. I just tried this in Snow Leopard and I noticed that the password field and show password checkbox are grayed out so that I can't even see the password. It's covered by those oh so annoying black dots. Now, I know this is a security feature and that it has its uses. But this was really useful in Leopard, and I used to use it all the time. Is this option completely gone now, or is there a way around it? So uh, I, I checked this out on, on Snow Leopard, and sure enough, you can't. I couldn't find a way to have it in the network system preference show me the password like it would in, in Leopard. No, How, same here. It was, it was grayed out with dots, the yep. only dots, and I think it was grayed out, too. Yeah, yeah, it was great. You couldn't even touch it, even if you unlocked, mm. you know, authenticated or whatever. But uh, the funny thing was, when I read this email, John... I never knew that you could do it this way in Leopard. I had never found the password that way. Anytime I wanted to look up the password, what I would do is open keychain access, search for the network name there, and then double click on it and authenticate. And then it would show me the password. So, and that does still work in Snow Leopard. I confirmed that today. So uh, the, the, the other method still works, even if, uh, even if this one doesn't. Well, what is odd is, at least on my machine here, so if I double-click on something, so if I went to network and then airport and preferred networks and click on a base station, it will let me change the password. Right. 
It just won't show. But it you won't the current, show huh? it to me, which yes is eternally frustrating. <laughs> and actually, my, my uh, I, I think I had a little note here, which I don't think it applies anymore. Again, the the console is just a wealth of of all sorts of good information. It really I, I think is. I've used this in the past to find like network passwords, like PPP passwords. I think uh, you know for. The old style telephone modems, which I, I assume one or two of our listeners still use. Um, I would, uh, I when would use when that sometimes their, when they're playing their phonograph record collection, right. <laughs> <laughs> or listening to the old uh, crystal set. Right? <laughs> hey, those are cool, man! I those remember are. building one of those when I was a, a wee lad. Yeah, it's amazing what you do with you know a few components and uh, hear what's in the air. Yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, but I don't believe the airport messages will will uh, publish the password when it's being submitted. Um, you know, you no. I'm sorry. No, it wouldn't work. I mean, you could get something like Wireshark, but unless it's encrypted, which I would assume the exchange is, then yeah, you're just going to see a bunch of garbage. So right, right, right. Good point. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have What's here? Next? Are we are we moving on here to? Uh, I think we got to move on. Yeah. All it's right. Imperative. It is it. <laughs> It's vital to our survival. <laughs> Dave writes. I would only trouble you with a technical question beyond my geeky knowledge. After installing Snow Leopard, my friend found that even after uninstalling and reinstalling Firefox, she continues to see square boxes around letters rather than the letters themselves. How is this possible? Thanks in advance. Okay. Uh, so I, this actually came in uh, a week or so ago, and I'd, I'd written my thoughts back to Dave, and, and he wrote back that they worked. So this is nice. Uh, the assumption was the font files out there, but the system and its uh, never-ending quest to be as completely optimized as possible goes through, takes the fonts, builds a cache of what it needs from them and then relies on that cache so that it doesn't have to go through all the fonts constantly. Uh, and so I know that inside both cocktail uh, and Onyx, which are both now snow leopard compatible, you can clean out the caches and specifically you can clean out the font cache, which forces the system to rebuild it. And so I suggested that to Dave and he tried it and sure enough, uh, the problem was solved. It, 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 uh, Whatever was going on with that cache file, the cache file was dirty somehow. It, you know, a refresh of it and everything was good to go. So don't forget how powerful, you know, I think there's a good theme here tonight, right, John? The uh, general troubleshooting tips. One is, as you've mentioned, I think at least twice now, uh, don't hesitate to look at the console. It can be your friend, right? And number two is clean out cache files. They, they, can, they can cause you all sorts of grief. You got anything to uh, to add to the uh, the font thing here, or, or, or in general, John? Uh, I found we'll link to it, but I found an OS Ten Hints article that talks about how uh, at the uh, command line you can uh, whack the offending uh, directory. Um, I think it's down in com Apple ATS, which is uh, Apple, Apple Type, type services. services. That's right. Yep. So uh, so there's some lower level geeky stuff if you want to explore exactly what files are, are causing the grief here. Well, I guess the other thing to add is uh, on the high road to prevent. So, you know, we're kind of doing this high road, low road thing, or at least I, I like to think we are. Um, and by, and by but, high road and low road, you, you're, you're, of course, talking about gen, speaking in a general sense and then speaking in a very geeky technical sense, right? Yes. Yes. There you go. Or maybe, a you know, user friendly and user hostile uh, context. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Which, uh, no, that's right. good. So, um, so if you double to, click on a font. So here's the thing. So typically, I think if you go to uh, is it system fonts, I guess, is where where most of this is buried. There are a couple of font folders spread around, I think, one for system level, one for uh, local, or at least that sounds reasonable. Um, maybe you could check that. I'm checking. Uh, so if you double-click on a font, what happens is it opens a utility, which uh, has been on the last couple of releases of OS X, called Fontbook. Now, what you can do is that there is a menu choice, Validate Font. If you want to try... Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, the, the suggestion to clear the cache has certainly worked. Uh, what I want to suggest again is, is something to preempt this or to identify specific fonts that may cause further problems. So it'll validate a font for you. And if, if uh, the thing is, I couldn't find a font that I had that was damaged. So, you know, it says the font is in good shape and all that. But uh, there are some other nice things in Fontbook. For example, it has a resolve duplicates uh, feature, which didn't light up for me because I guess I don't have duplicate fonts, but that could be another problem. So, um, and then also in the, in the Fontbook preferences, they have validate font before installing, which... 
Sounds like a good idea to me. And it looks like the default. So, so that's one thought is FontBook can help you peek into your fonts and perhaps identify specific troublesome ones, which, uh, you know, may replicate the problem into the cache again. So, you know, just another uh, tool in your, uh, you know, your tool belt there. Yep. And then I got, um, I haven't really used this, but I've, I've talked to the folks and it sounds like they know what, what the heck they're doing. But uh, fontgear.net, they have a, t- uh, I just got an email about an update to one of their products, Font Doctor. It's been updated to version 7.7. 7, 7. 7. Uh, it works with Snow Leopard and uh, as the name implies, I think it checks your fonts and if there's damage, it, it, it does something I would think above and beyond what Apple's FontBook tries to do in order to recover your fonts. So, um, which brings up a point is, you know, maybe back up your, well, no, that happens anyways if you're doing time, uh, time machine or time capsule is uh, archive your fonts every now and then. I don't know why they get corrupted, but I guess, uh, I don't know. Personally, I've never had a lot of problems, but then I, I don't really go nuts on the fonts here. I, I don't really, you know, install tons of them. I don't do graphics work. So I imagine graphics people have yeah, you know, people potential do, for that. Yeah. Uh, so fonts are located in typically in one of three places. And, and just like we were talking about with quick look plugins, uh, it, it follows the same form in uh, so the root of your hard drive system library fonts that has uh, a small set of fonts that are installed with the system. And unless something's gone terribly wrong, you shouldn't mess with that folder. You shouldn't add things to it and you shouldn't take things out of it. Anything in slash system is the top of the drive, uh, you know, vital to the Mac OS, Mac OS 10 itself. Then if you go into the library folder on the root of the hard drive into fonts, you will find all of the fonts that have been installed system wide. Now, I think I don't have a default install of Snow Leopard that's untouched here, but uh, but I think that there that the system by default actually installs some fonts there as well. Um, and, and those are available to all users as are the ones in, in system. And then in your home folder, uh, you've got a library folder and a fonts folder inside that are the fonts that are available only to that specific user account, uh, that's logged in at that moment. Uh, so, and I think, I don't know, I don't know what the preference is. If you've got the same font in three, three places, I, I would be tempted to say the one in your user account overrides the other two, but it might go exactly the other way. And I don't know. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to stop that line of questioning with my, with myself. How's that? How's that sound, John? Excellent. Good. All right. Don't, don't dig it deeper. I'm not going to dig it deeper because I'm just digging a hole and I'm not sure uh, what's at the bottom of it. So, all right. Uh, let's jump around a little bit here, John, and talk about ground hum. We talked a couple of a couple of weeks ago, I think it was two shows ago, about someone who is plugging in uh, computers into a new setup and they were getting this annoying, what we deciphered to be a 60 hertz hum out of their speakers. And this was, uh, we decided it was because the computers and the grounds uh, weren't in sync with each other. And we got a lot of responses about this. And it stands to reason. I mean, this is the kind of thing that even for a casual computer user, if, if you don't have this set up right, uh, it, it could drive you crazy because your, your speakers are always going to be humming. So uh, we've had a couple, of, a couple of solutions, and we're going to go through uh, them now, and we'll let, we'll let Jeff kick things off. Hi, John and Dave. It's Jeff from Denver, Colorado. I was just calling in regards to episode 219 with John's problem about the audio hum. Uh, if he were to put the G5 or the new Mac onto a separate circuit, I'm not sure that would completely solve the problem because if it's related to the ground, then the machine can still put out that hum through the audio line even if it's on a separate circuit. I've had this happen before. What he may want to give a try is put a ground lift on there, and that will hopefully solve the hum. Uh, you can get a hold of me at... Oh, we'll stop right there, but thanks, Jeff. Uh, so let, let's talk about what a ground lift is, and, and then we'll go on to some of these other things, John. Do, do, do you... Uh... I'm with you. I'm reading up on a ground lift. Now, okay. It sounds like you've maybe, it, it, from what I can read very quickly, it seems to be something that audio professionals frequently run into. Yep. Because with that equipment, you not only experience the effect, but you hear it sometimes at very unpleasant so, <laughs> so performance-ruining levels. In, in my experience, a, a ground lift is, uh, the, the, the simplest form of it uh, is one of those two to three prong adapters. 
right? That that we always used to use. Uh, if you had to plug in a, th- a, a, a power adapter, the power plug that had three prongs, if you had an old house with old wiring and it only had two prongs, or if you're using an extension cord or something. Uh, so you, you'd use this thing that essentially took the third prong, which is the ground out of the equation. Now, most of these will have, you know, either a, a little uh, screw uh, tab that you can screw into the ground, which is in the usually in the uh, in the center of the switch plate or the, the wall plate, uh, or it'll have a little wire that you can do the same thing. You do not want to connect this at, at this point. So uh, so that that's the simplest version of a ground lift that I've seen. I, I think there's probably other ways to do that. But, uh, you know, I've always kind of started there and. And and never gone any further with it because it, that has always worked for me. Uh, did you did you find anything else? That's in your what quick I'm research, reading John? here. Okay. So so what it hints at is that it takes you off of. Yeah, it doesn't connect you to ground. Ground, correct. It, it it references a different ground which doesn't perpetuate the sixty hertz signal. But as they suggest, you know, maybe for audio that's cool. But for other things, uh, it, it makes me a bit nervous because I, I'd, I'd like to see a circuit diagram of one of these because I mean, you know, intentionally chopping your ground connection is sometimes not a great idea. That's right. And that's exactly what you're doing here is intentionally chopping that ground connection. And, and essentially, you know, in this setup, letting it ground through whatever else is there. Right. I mean, it, you know, if it can't ground that way, uh, then it's going to ground through the audio cable that's coming to it. And, and now because you don't have a mismatch, everything is, is good to go. Right. So, okay. And uh, yeah, I'll link to this one thing. I think it's good. I'll I'll let you read over. But it's suggesting, yeah, as long as everything else that has a three prong plug is um, properly grounded, then referencing this other non-earth ground is okay, and everything sounds great. And I, I had always, and I might be completely wrong on this, but I, I had always understood it. You know, when when someone said a ground lift. Uh, the idea was, well, you're pulling the, uh, you're effectively pulling the ground pole out of the ground. You are lifting it out of the ground. So it's no longer connected to the ground. I don't know mm-hmm. if, I, you know, that that's how I always envisioned it. And that's, you know, but I anyway, see a lot of chatter about it. So that that's uh, all right. That's, so that that's one. Jeremy writes in and uh, and agrees with that. Jeremy has a couple of ideas. He said one idea, one solution is to lift the earth connection in the mains plug, either in the amp or the Mac. As long as they are connected via the audio lead, both pieces of equipment will be earthed. As we just discussed, number two, better still would be to lift the earth connection at the computer end of the audio cable. The signal cable will still be sheathed by the earth from the amp. Uh, and what he's talking about here, I think, is actually trimming back the uh, the ground shield on the cable so that it does not talk to the so it does not connect to the computer. Uh, and then number three is to use an optical output from the Mac or a USB uh, converter uh, producing an optical output. This latter would be the most elegant in that there is no electrical connection between the two because you're doing optical, not electrical. And that I, I like that idea. Uh, and Jeremy says with either of the first two, a switch can be added to the cable to turn the earth connection on if required. So thank you very much, Jeremy. That that's, that's helpful. Now you have that, right? Uh, my system, I believe my DVD player, which is a couple of years old and my G five and mm-hmm. even, well, I think even my MacBook all have the potential to do optical audio, but I don't think I have your TiVo receiver. does your TiVo does too. And, and, and TiVo has it too. Yeah. Yeah. We do, we do digital audio, uh, digital optical audio here with, uh, with our TV, with our TiVo, our DVD player. And I think even one of our gaming consoles or, or more than one of our gaming consoles. And it, it allows you to send, uh, I think 6.1. So seven channels, six channels in the subwoofer over the, right. uh, discreetly, now, you know, over the is there, connection. Is there a downside? I mean, obviously you need a receiver that has that, but I think sure. all modern ones do. But I mean, are the cables expensive? Are they fragile? I mean, is there any negative to the optical or I, I haven't seen any negative to it at all. I know this is a tangent and this is where we shine here, John. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I certainly hope so. Yeah, no, I, I uh, and I've been pretty, pretty cal- casual about how careful I am with, you know, pulling these things around and plugging them in. I mean, obviously it's fiber optic, but but I haven't had any issues with the plugs or with uh, with the cables as I b- bounce them around. I think our, our amplifier 
I don't know if it had at one point we were bouncing between I think our PlayStation 2 had a had an optical output and we had to bounce that back and forth between something else. I think our our amplifier only had, I don't know, three optical inputs and we needed four or something. So I was constantly bouncing it around and I never ran into an issue. Um, You know, it looks cool, too, because you get this cable with this red light kind of pouring out the end of it, which is, you know, that's cool. I think. Okay, I may upgrade eventually right now i don't really have a sophisticated audio system but uh if if you cool. do and this is just personal experience i, I highly recommend one of these all-in-one units not, not all in one but but a uh a pre-built set so that you're getting an amplifier and a right. set of speakers that is built to work with that amplifier um right. we, we went through a lot of this i actually did some reviews for gosh i can't even remember the digital world magazine and uh, and wound up reviewing a couple of different uh, sets of these. And it really is the best way to do it, because that way, you know, that you're you're driving the right amount of power to the right speakers and everything is balanced. Right. And the amplifier knows, you know, what type of speakers are in each of the enclosures. So it's sending the right EQ'd signals to it. And it it, it saves you a whole lot of hassle in balancing it. And I know. I'm going to get some uh, audio files that are going to shame me for being a picky audio guy that says that this is the right way to do it, but it's easy and, uh, and it works very well and, and we've been happy with it. So I'll leave it. it at that. Okay. And maybe at the end of the show, because you mentioned reviews and, and I know there was a topic online about that, but uh, you know what I'm thinking, but uh, let's, let's get back to All right. Q and a, you know what okay. I'm talking about, right? I, I might, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so there's one last uh, audio uh, oh, yeah. Comment about about this with it with a cool uh, solution that, that we'll post about. Hey, guys, this is Toxic in Tacoma. I uh, just listened to your last show and heard a discussion about the hum, the 60 cycle hum on some old stereo equipment uh, near a computer. Anyway, uh, I have a possible solution. I've only used it for vintage guitar amps. It's a product called Hum X. Uh, you plug it into the wall and you plug the the equipment that is having the humming problem into that and it helps uh, eliminate that uh, ground loop now i've only tried it with guitar amps so i don't know how well it would work with stereo equipment etc but uh, it's worth a try you can pick them up sweet water i think uh, guitar centers have them anyway that's it this is where you cut me off thanks cool thanks toxic yeah and uh we found them at amazon they they kind of seem to be everywhere so they, they're not not cheap. You know, I think you're looking at about uh, 60 or 70 bucks to do this, but, uh, but my guess is it's doing something to protect the equipment at the same time as, as, uh, lifting this ground. So uh, it's worth checking out. What do we, what do we move on to back to, back to questions or should we talk about some cool stuff? I think we should talk about some cool stuff, John, you know, I like the, the cool stuff. <sighs> okay. You don't want to talk about no. Cool I stuff? like the cool. No, it's right. awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, you know what I really want to do is I want to talk about our second sponsor. Okay, and that's Circus Ponies with Notebook. Uh, the idea behind Notebook is it allows you to collect all of your thoughts, files, PDFs, images, all for any given project or any given topic into one notebook. Now, if you start it out and you don't use any of the pre-built templates. Uh, you just get a blank view that looks like a yellow line notebook, right? With, you know, it's a yellow notebook page with, with lines, hence my term. Uh, and, and you can start typing there and it'll all come out hierarchically like you would expect in a notebook. But then you can pull in PDFs. You can annotate those PDFs. If you have a tablet or you're really good with a mouse, you can draw in there. Or if you're bad with the mouse and you don't. And, and your bad drawings mean something to you, then go ahead and put those in. If, as long as it's relevant, you're good to go. And you can tag all of this stuff with keywords. It remembers the date that the stuff came in. And then if you're looking for something, you can search across multiple notebooks with their multi-dex feature that if you decide, look, I know that I put this stuff in there on, uh, you know, on Monday the 5th. Well, I'm going to go and search for Monday the 5th and it's going to find me everything that was that was done on Monday the 5th. And so, oh yeah, great. Okay, now I've got this and I can go off and do what I want. The idea behind Notebook is consolidating all that otherwise unrelated stuff and pulling it together uh, into one place. Kind of clear up your clutter and save yourself some time. CircusPonies.com is where you're going to find this. Of course, there is a 30-day free trial. 
And you can get a standard license for $49.95, an academic license for $29.95, a family pack license for $99.95. And it's all available at circusponies.com. All right. Now, on to the cool stuff found. You know, John, before I'm going to jump around in the order here, because before we were talking about Quick Look and mm-hmm. uh, and David found something that's uh, that's worth mentioning. Uh, a tip that he discovered in Quick Look. If you highlight a picture file and hold option and then hit spacebar, it'll give you a full screen Quick Look, which I find pretty cool. Are you trying it now? Huh? No. Okay. You could. I wouldn't be so. I wouldn't be angry. The, the listeners would understand. So you're saying a picture? Yeah, like a JPEG or a PNG. Yeah. Perhaps even a TIFF. What do I want to try here? But we don't want to have a TIFF. Mm. Well, maybe TI or TIFF or TIFF. I never got that. <laughs> it, Option and spacebar. Get out. Did it work? Not on this machine. Are you on a leopard machine or a snow leopard machine? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> We're holding on, John. We are in a holding pattern. I'm vamping as best I can, running out of breath as we're doing this, but uh, but trying to remain calm, cool, collected, and yet... Dig it. It works. It, it works. So it works in Snow Leopard, but not Leopard. That's correct. Excellent. Okay, so a, a quick tip for quick look with a quick context. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. Well, okay, so I say yes. So it's a great shortcut uh, to note, though, if you do... Highlight and spacebar something in Quick Look. There will be a thing on the bottom of the screen that has two arrows pointing in opposite directions, and that is the full screen thing. So this is the direct way to get to that. But I've noticed that typically, if you hit the spacebar and you bring something up in Quick Look, not the Finder view, but you know, bringing it up like the, this with some detail, yeah, um, it'll give you as much additional navigation or features as as you need. Like I think if you, if you highlight multiple documents, it'll give you a way to scroll through them and stuff. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. And you can even, uh, you Let know, me try that one. Yes. So I just highlight two documents, hit the space bar. And in, in addition to the full screen thing, I see a thing that has an index sheet, yep. a play button, which I imagine does a nice. This is cool. You know, I haven't looked at this, man. This I is like this quick is a look a, a quick. There's probably a lot of, of stuff hidden in there, man. It looks like there is because I'm finding like more and more as we do the show here. OK, <laughs> so that's an excellent. Uh, yeah, excellent. Shortcut, but but looking, yeah, I mean, like this tile thing, I didn't even know that was there. So, okay, I I have I I would have sworn that I had mentioned the piece of software called Clip Menu last week, but I did not cross it off my list. Um, did did I mention Clip Menu last week, John? Do you know? <sighs> I had it in the notes too. Okay, but, uh, mention well, it. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'd mentioned Jump Cut as a great multiple clipboard uh, utility. And uh, and Jeff wrote, actually, Jeff found me on Twitter and said, no, no, man, look, jump cuts good, but clip menus better. So check it out. And he's right. It's uh, it. And I think we did talk about this, John, as I'm saying it. I either told you about it pre-show or yeah. I mentioned it during the show. So but clip menu at clipmenu.com, Great place. Uh, Robert wrote in with a piece of about a piece of software that does multiple clipboards and more. He says, nothing is better than the best kept secret on the Mac. And that is keyboard maestro. It's a macro app that also includes a multiple clipboard memory. It is an app I could not live without. And it is available at keyboardmaestro.com. Interestingly enough, when I had my PowerBook 520C, uh, I bought a copy of keyboard maestro. <laughs> now this was back in 95 when I went on the road with, uh, with hypnotic Clambake. And and I remember setting up that machine and, and being very happy about my purchase of, of a very old copy now of uh, of Keyboard Maestro. And it is it's cool. You can set all kinds of things you can. It, it's it first and foremost is a macro program. Right. And you can uh, it, it's got a program switcher in it, which was the real reason I think that I got it at the time, because Mac OS 10 didn't have a built in, you know, command tab program switcher. So I think that's that's what I use Keyboard Maestro for more than anything. But uh, but I wound up using, you know, wound up using it for for a lot. Um, it it allows you to set macros that it think about it kind of like automator, but you're not um, as limited 
to what automator has equipment keyboard maestro i mean it it's got its own kind of limitations but you're but but it's different than automator it's worth checking out uh you can trigger actions uh from a keystroke you can you can do it when an app launches that it goes ahead and, and fires off you know whatever whatever macro you built it, it's a pretty cool piece of software and it's it's changed a lot since 1995 which is uh i think the last time i actually looked at it so it's worth checking out and it does as uh, as robert pointed out come with multiple clipboards so that's it that's at keyboardmaestro.com so thank you robert and thank you jeff should we move on to uh we, let's clean up the we'll, we'll get through the quick tips here and we'll we'll kind of flush the queue as it mm-hmm. as it were it's it's nice jumping around like this it's actually nice having having all kinds of stuff to uh to jump with you got anything to add here john before i jump around Kind of jumpy. Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> James. Uh, yeah. James says, just thought I'd share a useful little tip I found. L- useful little app I found. I have a RAID NAS, which I use to hold my music, photos, etc. I used to auto-mount the shares on my Mac by dragging the desktop volume icons from the desktop onto my login items in the account's pref pane, which is a good way to auto-mount. One real pain of using this method is the finder windows for the mounted volumes popping up on my desktop at boot. That's true. I've now found an excellent app called Bonjour Mounter. This app can be set to run at startup and silently mounts your shares using a very, very friendly, uh, user-friendly GUI, much easier than messing with Auto Mount D. Thanks for the excellent show. Yeah, so you can uh, you can find this at bonjourmounter.gestosoft.com, uh, but we'll put a link in the show notes so you don't have to try and figure out how that one is spelled. So thanks, James. Now, I want to ask you, though, because the only other utility that I've used, and the only reason I do this sometimes, is um, my TiVo publishes itself using Bonjour, and I mm-hmm. use iStumbler to look at my Bonjour shares. Okay. I can't see them normally in the Finder, which I don't know if I'm not supposed to, or I just am <laughs> not clicking on the right thing, but I, have, I, I don't see Bonjour things like the DVR show up, but they show up in uh, iStumbler uh, under the uh, Bonjour tab. Now, uh, my TiVo shows up under Bonjour in Safari because it publishes itself not as a file sharing uh, point, but as a web page. Have you have you tried that? Right. Bonjour it can be used to to announce a bunch of different services. And uh, oh, you're right. There it is. OK. Yeah. So the, the TiVo is OK. I clicked yeah. on Bonjour and it says John Series 3. OK. Right. right. Huh. And but now here, here's a cool finder, tip. Here's a cool tip right? for you TiVo people, right? So if you go to that and it's going to bring you to a web page that that's very useless. It says TiVo, congratulations, right? And it it's it's pretty that. Okay, well, that web page starts with http colon, correct? If you go up there and type https, if you put an s, leave the rest of the address the same, put an s after that and hit enter, it's going to ask you for a username and password. Uh, it, it's going to connect securely to the TiVo. I believe the username is TiVo and the password is your TiVo media access key. So your MAK uh, for yes. TiVo. And then what that'll do is it'll pull down your entire now playing list. So you can view your TiVo now playing list in a browser window and uh, you can even download the uh, the TiVo MPEGs right there in Safari straight to your uh, straight to your Mac's hard drive. Nice. Okay. I was trying to remember how to do that. So it's the S. Now we'll give you a uh, certificate warning because I guess it's a self-signed certificate. That's right. So it'll say, I'm not too comfy with this certificate, but if the TiVo is is yours in your house, then you're okay. Right. And then bookmark that page so you can come back to it. And then, yeah, as Dave pointed out, it lets you download. I think most of them when you download are encrypted. And I know some get flagged as uh, broadcast only, in which case you won't see them if the... uh, H the, the, yeah, I think you and I toss this around a bit. Some shows it just says it, it's listed there, but that in the download column it says protected, and uh, and so you can't you can't pull it down. But see Normally. now now I shouldn't be looking Normally. at my my TiVo. Uh, well, no, the TiVo won't let you out. It won't let it out. You, there's no way you'll get that one out of there. Huh? You can't use the uh, download manager. No, they do it, the, it. It it actually goes the same way. Oh, it honors the okay. Yeah. It honors whatever protocol is there. Yeah. Well, isn't that annoying? Yes. 
And now, see, now I want to wrap up the show because I see that uh, Lisa and I have a house to watch and Big Bang Theory is being recorded right now. And, you know, so we got we got stuff to do. But uh, but we also have stuff to do here. And that, that's why we well, have that's TiVo. why the, that's why we have the TiVo. You so got we it. Can, <laughs> you got it. So right now it's record. Yeah, I see it's recording stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's look away. Look away. Look away. That's right. Look away from the close that window. Close that window. Close that. Where are we? Do we want to bounce back to some of the, Uh, you know, I actually want to want to bounce to a follow up uh, uh, that last week we talked about syncing an iPhone with two different computers. And, and it was, it was sort of to answer a a different question, but it brought up the topic and Aaron helps kind of bring it to completion, if you will. Hi, John and Dave. This is Aaron in Rochester, New York, calling regarding Mac Geek Ad number 220. And Michael called in with a question about syncing applications to two different iPhones. The new iTunes 9 home sharing feature allows you to share applications amongst different computers on your home network, along with your music and videos. If If he's using two accounts on the same Mac, you can sync an iPhone to that computer using both accounts. My wife syncs her iPhone with my account for applications and then syncs it again with her account for her calendar and contacts. This is where you cut me off. If you want to reach me, you can. All right. And I will cut you off there with the magic button. So, uh, yeah, this is actually a cool thing uh, about the way iTunes works. And this is true of iPhone uh, as well as iPods. John, you can put... uh, all those little tabs, when you connect your, your iPod or your iPhone to iTunes, you see all these little tabs like uh, music, podcasts, movies, TV shows, applications, uh, and I think ringtones or uh, some of them. There might be another one that I'm forgetting. But each of those can be enabled or disabled independently. And so you can go through and say, OK, on this computer, I want it to sync my music, my movies and my TV shows, but not my podcasts and applications. And and then you uh, bounce to another computer, another user account. And that same iPhone will happily sync that uh, that stuff that it's not syncing. It can't sync multiple uh, it can't sync to multiple. It can't sync the same type of files to multiple computers. So uh, you can't sync podcasts from multiple computers, but you can sync, you know, movies to one and podcasts from another. So uh, thank you, Adrian, for for bringing that through to completion for us. That that's a very handy thing to to share and to remember. So we and all of the rest the rest. Ah, wow, we and the rest of the listeners. Thank you. Thank there, you, John. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. That's right. Um, boy, we got a couple of questions here that, uh, that are going to get geeky well, uh, before that though. You know, I've often wondered yeah, how you can get in touch with us, Dave. Oh yes. Haven't you? I, I, I do wonder that it's strange because I know the answer, but yet I find myself up at like 4am <laughs> almost uh, the three or four times a week, just wondering how do I get in touch with the Mac geek? And then I say, Oh wait, I haven't memorized. I can go back to sleep. And so then I do. That's actually really, it's a sort of a comforting, it's like a, it's like a security blanket. Almost. Well, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is my security blanket. Then? <laughs> oh, then the phone number, 206-666-GEEK. And I, I keep a red phone right next to the bed so I can pick that up and just dial 206-666-GEEK and I can leave us a message and then go right back to bed. It, it's great. My wife, yep. my wife gets pissed i mean it you know I'm, and I'm, that's four three three five well also when is. i call the, the red phone that's right and then the red phone just rings occasionally <laughs> what i really like is when uh people uh with with their iphones it usually there's people in california so maybe it's midnight for them and it's like 3 a.m for me and uh i i don't know why this happens to but it only happens when people are in california they pocket dial me with their iphone and uh and it's great you know i, or I got butt dial right I, it doesn't there really has to be some butt dialing. I guess so. I don't know what it is. I've seen commercials about this, but, but yeah, people sitting on their phones or yeah, fumbling with their phones or it's in their purse and it's flying around. Yeah. You I, just never know. I, I get, you know, I'll get phone calls in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. from people that, you know, are, are, are important people to me, you know, and I figure, well, if they need if they need me in the middle of the night and they bother to call, I'm going to go ahead and answer the phone. And then I answer the phone and I hear. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, I got nothing. It's like, hey, dude, if you're going to do that, at least talk to me. You know, don't. Uh, well, yeah. the only one I would expect it from is your brother. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's never <laughs> happened from him. That's right. 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK any time of day. Uh, we'd prefer you didn't pocket dial us, but if you did, that you know, it's happened. We, we get those calls. It, it, you know, it's all right. Go, go ahead and put us, put us in your address book so that you've got us dial. there. Speed dial. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. But then the other way you can get in touch with us, if you have a, you know, a computer with this fancy internet technology, you can email us at feedback at com. Now, wait a minute. You said feedback at macgeekgab.com. Is I that did, right? but you know what else you can do is you can attach an audio file to your email. Yeah, you can. How cool is that? And we've heard quite a few of those tonight. They sound really, really good, especially uh, the folks that are doing it on the iPhone using the, the voice memo app. You can email right from there. So go ahead and put macgeekgab in your address book and you can put two entries in, not one, but two. But wait, there's less. Uh, 206-666-4335, which is geek, and feedback at MacGeekGab.com. John, we should publish a V-card that people can download and automatically import into a dress book. Sweet. Okay, I'm going to make one. Because that's just brilliant right there. We can even put the little logo in. It could be cute. Mm -hmm. People can dial us. They see our picture on there. Oh, it'll be great. No, no. No, it will. Trust me. It'll be great. It will be great. You're not getting my picture. Man. Oh, well, I'll put the logo in. <laughs> okay. I'll snap. I'll sneak a picture of you then. And it, uh, to wrap it up here for the uh, contact is uh, thank you for helping us test out Mac Geek Gab on Skype. Uh, uh, reports from Dave indicate that it appears to be working. I, I liked how you made that very positive and yet completely passed the buck to me for any and all problems that might occur. With professional, that, that. I know. Yeah, that was that was nice. Passed that a professional, what is the question? That's the question. I am a professional. Something you said you had something to add, a review thing or something. I'm I'm totally in the dark about this. I'm sure I know what it is you're talking about, but I I cannot place it. But so. no, it was the recent thing, which is near and dear to, to I think both of our hearts. But uh, no, it was the recent thing that you posted today. You had a tweet. Sorry, I banged the mic. Um, talking about how the FTC is considering regulating. Um, bloggers and other producers of content regarding whether they receive a special consideration, shall we say, for in exchange for reviews. And, and I'll just say off the top of my head, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but no, this I'm is sorry, good. I'm just going on here. Um, I think most of the people that I work with in the Mac media, uh, Mac technology journalist circles, which I, I'm honored to, I think, consider myself a part of, though not as active as some others, Getting stuff for free to review is kind of how it works for the most part, except for very few companies with expensive hardware. And I don't know anybody that's in our circle, Dave, that would compromise their principles and say, oh, I get free stuff, so I'm going to say nice things about it. Right. If I get something, I'm sorry, Dave, and maybe sometimes we err on the side of caution, is that if something's a real piece of garbage, I'm reluctant sometimes to even generate a negative review maybe get back to them and say you know this really sucks um so maybe and uh, you know so so i apologize if, if i do that sometimes but i will not give somebody a free ride if i get something software or otherwise for free that doesn't make me say it's great i mean i think yeah. you and i are very honest when we review stuff we've on the podcast many times hey we say apple sucks in a lot of cases sure yeah we so, don't um, apologize for so anybody. i don't know if this is necessary i don't know if there are people that are duped into or tricked into. And, and I suppose there are some unscrupulous, I wouldn't even call them journalists who will say something nice about anything if it's free. And and to me, that's just, that's lacking. But, so I'm not sure what prompted this, uh, you know, consideration of this or if it's law now or what. But, it uh, is. Yeah. They, it, this has been something they've been, the FTC has been going back and forth on for a while. And, and then today they released the, uh, the 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 language and it goes into effect December one. This is a lock. And essentially what it says is if you are out there right uh, writing a review, either on your blog, on Twitter, uh, you know, so any any of these social networking sites and you got either paid to write that review or the understanding was that, look, I will give you these, uh, you know, th this item if you say something positive about it, uh, if that happens, you have to, as the blogger, it's your responsibility. Uh, and, and I would assume podcaster, you know, uh, you know, journalist, obviously person, mm -hmm. even just a general person posting on Twitter. If you got somebody with, you know, a bunch of followers and you say, hey, I'll give you one of these. If you go ahead and write something nice about it, you have to disclose now or at least 
uh, not now, but December, starting December one, you have to disclose that. Yes, I, you know, I was, I got some sort of consideration for this. Uh, otherwise you risk a fine of 11 grand. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I'm with you uh-huh. on this, John. I, I think it's a good thing. Now I think what they're trying to stop is all this, uh, you know, well, certainly all this publicity, uh, but also the gaming of the search engines. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of companies that will say to all these little bloggers, right, go ahead and write something about us and then link back to us, you know. And, and so I think it's it's sort of a double edged sword that they're trying to uh, to deal with. It's also important to note that celebrities are included in this ruling. And if they go uh, either, you know, if they're in a commercial that's obviously an advertisement. They don't need to say I was paid to be here because that's pretty much a given. But if they go on a talk show or if they're on their website or, you know, Twittering about it or whatever, celebrities have to disclose if they're saying, yeah. oh, you know, so- here's what here's what gets me, though, is that so uh, uh, I'm I'm uneasy with the, you know, term compensation. So, for example, um, for what I understand, for the most part, you you pay the staff, uh, you know, something for what they do, Dave. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. So for a while, I had to pay you, but then you know the, right, the tables you, turned. And, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you know, you you're, you got some seniority. That's right. <laughs> but anyways, no. What I want to say is, say I'm an independent, you know, not associated with the publication, and I run a blog, and yep. I maybe have some advertising on it. Correct. Is that considered receiving compensation for what I do? No, 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 here? no. I think it's a sl- no, or, no, or no, it's no. only if I get paid by a correct media outlet. If you like get paid Mac by observer a observer or a magazine or, no, or a no, newspaper no. Or, or, no. or a blog. No. So no. if anybody pays me for my opinion, I must disclose the fact if I receive the product for nothing that I did that. No, you're, you're getting it wrong. It, okay. it had it. It's it. You can have advertising on your site. You can have subscriptions on your site. You can make money okay. any way you want. If I let's say I write a piece of software, John, right, and, and it's, you know, uh, widget zoom plus and I come to you and I say, I want you to write a positive review of widget zoom plus, And for that review, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. You now, you mm-hmm. know, according to the law, you need to disclose that if I come to you and say, I want you to write a positive review of widget zoom plus, And if you do, I'll give you a free license to the software that is also a uh, something you need to disclose. Now, the way I understand it, however, and this is the nuance, mm-hmm. if I come to you and I write Widget Zoom Plus and I say, hey, John, here's a free copy of my software. I just want you to have it. Uh, and then I continue to pester you. So are you going to write a review? Are you going to write a review? But there was no quid pro quo, right? The, I, you know, I did not give you the software with you you know, having a, a firm agreement of yes, and I will write something positive. So, it, yeah, the, the the third example there is totally copacetic. Oh. It happens all the time. Uh, you know, if somebody decides, look, I'm going to give you something so that you can play with it. That, I think that's smart marketing, right? You know, somebody if Which- HP. We if have HP that sends happen me constantly. Correct. Dave. You do. I do. We get boxes from everywhere of people saying, gee, if you'd like to look at this. Right. That's right. Please do. And and if you happen to think it's uh, worth writing about uh, and it's positive, all the better. Right. But but the, there is no there is no explicit understood quid pro quo. And and, and that's what this FTC oh. ruling is about. Well, so, then, yeah, if that HP, totally makes sense to me. Right. If, yeah, HP so if they say sends here, me a printer. And yeah. says, uh, you, know, you know what? You know, it's a great example is this Runcore drive that I've got in my uh, in my MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Right. They sent me the drive. I said, here you go. Uh, you know, uh, we might want it back. We might not. We don't you know, we don't care. Uh, but here you go. You know, and and they took the the uh, they took the risk of saying, well, I might get it and hate it and say something terrible about it, which which I certainly could have. Now, I mean, I. T- started testing it and I loved it. It's small. It's, you know, it's 128 gigs versus the, the 250 that I had prior. So, you know, I had to kind of, you know, move some things out and move things around. But other than that, I love the thing. And, and you heard me talk about it. That's smart marketing, right? That, but there was never mm-hmm. an understanding of you have to say something positive in order to qualify okay. to keep the, you know, that that's not All right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So this is covering if I mean, it's almost admitting that you're gaming the system then. Mm-hmm. So you must admit if you are giving something of value for free or being offered monetary 
or other valuable compensation to say something positive. You got to reveal that fact, which is like, you well, why would you even do that? Well, it, it, you know, there's there's well, we've seen it in, in magazines. I mean, it's it and it's often called advertorial, right? Where there is look, we're going to we're going to write something positive. And sometimes it's even written by the, you know, by yeah. by the by the vendor. Right. But but yeah. No, that, okay. that's that's all this is. And I think it's a very good thing. I, you know, I think it's I don't know how they're going to enforce it. I mean, good luck with that. But uh, but it, it's nice to send. It, I'm glad that this message is out there. It's a little big brotherish, but but uh, but it you know, it's one of those things where it it uh, it follows. Yeah, it, 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 to yeah. me, it sounds like a much more complex issue, because, for example, you have uh, one thing that we've seen a lot of, you know, with Apple and other products is product placement. Correct. Is that considered part of this? It sounds like it. It, it went, well, certainly with celebrities, the product placement thing falls under this. Right. So if, if you know, you you go out and you wear a, a T-shirt with somebody's logo on it and, and you're on a talk show. Well, mm-hmm. you, you have to if you were paid or otherwise compensated and agreed to do that, you know, for for some sort of uh, payment or compensation, then, yeah, you've, okay. you've got to you've got to admit to that. Because I think a lot of times, you know, with Apple and other products, they're prominently displayed in a TV show. Yeah. As part of, I believe, in some cases, a financial arrangement where the company, Apple or otherwise, says, hey, if you showcase our products, we'll, we'll give you dough. Yeah, now, and the now show the interesting, using them is kind of an endorsement. And they, and they do. You know, a lot of shows will say uh, promotional consideration. Uh, okay, that admits body, it then. Right? That's and cool. Okay, and I'm cool with end. that. That's what that means. The, they gave us goodies to display and put in a hopefully favorable light. Here's the interesting thing. Nowadays, Apple does do uh, does pay for some, some of that stuff, from what I understand. But, but back... I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you had to pay Apple for the for the right to use their logos in your show. Well, I still see that in a lot of shows. You'll notice yeah. a lot of Macs, you know, it's a Mac. Right. But they they paint it over the Apple because mm-hmm. that identifies it as Apple brand equipment. And yeah, there's licensing and protecting your trademark and all that stuff. Yeah. Which, uh, figures in. Yeah, we we've seen a lot of TV shows tussle with that because yep. uh Anyways, oh boy, well that was just No, I'm glad you that brought that up. A tangent. That I, was No, no, I'm glad we we talked about it because I misunderstood the intent. Now I I yeah. to me it sounded like just, you know, unwanted intrusion, but it sounds like it's a, it's addressing an issue that does cause a lot of potential customer yeah. or, you know, uh consumer confusion. That's right. Say. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's it's about know, misleading the consumer, right? If somebody right. How finds, good are your facts? That's right. That's right. Or how independent are your facts? I mean, like an infomercial, an infomercial is usually, well, they admit it up front, too. They say, you know, this is a paid advertisement and what you're seeing is not news. Yep. (laughs) Or at least I hope you understand that. And, and, you know, to me, it it hits home with the podcasting thing, too, because I I always uh, I don't think I've ever screwed it up. But but if I have, it's it's a screw up and nothing more. I've always, you know, before we deliver the sponsor's message. We say this is the sponsorship, right? And and then we go on and, you know, sometimes it gets into a conversation that's very much mm-hmm. like the rest of the show. And that's, frankly, sure. that's what they're paying for, you know, is to, to have us deliver that message instead of have some 30 second, you know, canned recorded spot or whatever. Uh, that's you know, very sterile and, and not fitting in the flow of the show. But but yet we always make sure we say, yeah, look, we, we were paid to say to talk about X. And here we go. You know, mm-hmm. so. And I'll say for the most part, the things that I've done as of late, you know, the trade shows I go to where I do get products like I talked about, you know, one was a battery product. For the most part, these are handouts at the the shows that I go to. So if if, if you haven't had the chance to, you know, delve into the exciting world of uh, tech journalism and trade shows. For the most part, media, the, if it's not a hugely expensive item, they'll they'll give you one. And it's with no understanding at all. I've never That's been approached right. saying, say something nice about this. It's like, here you go. Bye bye. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll certainly get later. Fo- cool. I'll certainly get phone calls sometimes from people. And again, that's smart. Oh, sure. PR to say, yeah, yeah. Are you going to, you know, a little bit of a nudge. You're going to review it. You're going to review it. I sure. Love that. You know, and, and that's just smart uh, PR because they know that we're busy. We see a lot of things and that, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Speaking of people that have paid, to have their products mentioned on this show, the post, the podcast marketplace, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, includes A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Pathfinder from Cocotech. 
all, uh, as I said, through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network on the podcast marketplace. Uh, Blog World Expo is coming up, John. I am traveling starting Thursday. I have to I have nine flights in nine days. Uh, what? Yes, it's true. I'm doing a day trip to New York on Thursday. Then on uh, Saturday, the family flies down to Florida for a birthday party. Uh, mm-hmm. We're flying back Monday. I'm home for a leisurely Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, fly to Vegas for Blog World Expo. So uh, I am not going to be. I think the next opportunity we're going to have to record a show is going to be probably a week from Thursday together in uh, in the hotel room in Vegas. I think that's, I... that's just going to be the way it is. I concur. Uh, and uh, and that will be October 15th. That's uh that's that's tax day, folks. Um that's what? tax day for those of you that oh, uh, quarterly filing. No, no, tax day for those oh. of you that that uh that, that got a uh, an extension on your personal return to file, which of course I always do. Oh, that's corporate taxes right. delay six, things. 6 yeah, months, right? You got it. No. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that's At October. At least you pay your taxes. Thank you. Uh, it's October 15th. You're welcome. That's October 15th through 17th. Uh, if you have not yet bought your tickets, you can do so and still get 20% off using Observer VIP. We would love to see you out there. Uh, if you're coming out, let us know. Uh, I, our schedules are sort of still being built, but uh, but I would be happy if there's if there's enough listeners oh, coming well you out. Just, you know, I mean, we're going to be, as long as I can get Wi-Fi. But yeah. uh, I'll be tweeting as John F. Ron, right. Davis, Dave Hamilton, Pilot Pete. Well, he's not going to be at the show, but he's Pilot Pete. And then, of course, Matt Geekab is news specific to this broadcast. That's right. Podcast, broadcast. And, of course, Mac Observer is the general feed. And I think, is it Mac Observer Live when we, we do uh, exciting live events? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and is it TMO Live or Mac Observer no, Live? No, it's I'm Mac sorry. Observer Live. That's Excellent. Right. Yep. Okay, so add that to your list. Why not? iPhonealley.com is where Michael Johnston, the converter of all things AAC here at the <laughs> Mac Geek Gab, uh, d- spends things? the rest of his time. Yeah. And uh, Cashfly.com, Cashfly.net provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. They are the edge provider that uh, pushes the copy of this show out to a node that's hopefully real close to you, and then you can pull it down real fast without having to go through a bunch of hoops. We like iTunes comments. And with that, I think we're out of here, John. Wow, that just flew by. It did. So, happy fall. Your heat going on yet? Yeah, oh yeah, we turned the heat on this weekend. It was cold. You get snow, you get snow yet? No, no, no. Now, you know what, Dave? I'm just betting, man. I mean, you're flying nine times. Yeah. You're going to get caught. Don't get caught. Don't catch me. Me. Please.